podcast world, welcome to the Canal Valley Church Sermon Podcast. We like to think of it as deep biblical teaching that's actually made fun. If you like it, you can listen to more series at www.canalvalleychurch.org. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Today, we're going to be talking about work. <laughs> work, right? Which the irony of, this talk, of preaching about work right when I get back from vacation is not lost on me. I get that. But, you know, it was funny. Backstage, we were talking in our, in our pre-service meeting, and we were talking about, uh, you know, I was sharing about what we were going to talk about today. And, and Jacob said, well, well, what kind of work? Are we going to be talking about, like, our secular job? Or are we going to be talking about, like, the, min- the work of the ministry? Right? And I think... For many of us, we can feel that way. Yeah. We can feel like, okay, there's my secular job, but then there's the work of the ministry, and one is godly, and one is spiritual, and one is my secular job, right? <laughs> and, and I appreciate it. I'm not trying to throw Jacob under the bus. I think we all feel that way to a certain degree, but we're going to talk about this today, and it's so exciting because you think about work, our work life as you get past being a college student, or, or you're really your college student life is your preparation for your career, so you really are already working, but that takes up about half of our life. Yeah. Think about it, and if we have that perspective of it, there's a secular part, but then there's the, the ministry of God part, well, that's half of our waking lives that are just kind of like out there. Is that really how God wants us to feel about our work and our careers? And that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, to make this point, there's a, there's a medieval parable. There was a knight who was traveling, and as he was traveling along the road, he noticed off to the side uh, some, some activity going on. And so he walked over to, to the people there, and he walks up to the first one, and he was a, a stonemason, and he was there working with bricks and, and masonry, and he said, well, what are you doing? And the guy said, ah. Oh. Man, I'm just laying brick, you know, another day at the grind, you know, they're picking it up and putting it on and just kind of grinding away. If you picked up a brick lately, these things are heavy and got to make my own cement to go between them and hot day and, uh, you know, just, just kind of grinding along. So the knight said, oh, okay, well, and he kept moving on. He goes a little bit further down and sees another mason there and he said, well, what, what are you doing? The guy says, oh my goodness, he pops up filled with energy. Such a contrast to the other one, filled with energy. And like, oh, this is, gr- I am actually building a wall that I, I've been recognized for all this work. And, and right now, if I do a good job on this, I might actually be uh, promoted to the next level of, of management over the other Masons. And, and then my, my paycheck would go up and increase. And, and so, man, I'm just trying to get this so I can get to the next level. And then I want to get this little chateau in France when I work hard enough at this stuff and get to a certain level. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm really, really trying to get this, get, get, get this wall built so I can move on in my career. And I said, oh, okay, well, that, that's great. And he continues on. He walks up to a third man, another Mason, same, doing the same thing and says, well, well, what are you doing? And the guy stops what he's doing and he puts his stuff down. He looks up to him. He says, I, I get to build the cathedral of God. <laughs> All three doing the same thing, but three very different perspectives on what they were doing. 
And that's what we're going to talk about today. The title of my sermon is Idol, Idol, or Ideal. Let's read together in Colossians chapter 3. Verse 22. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. You know, here, uh, Roy did a great job, I heard last week, talking about the principles of good spiritual growth, setting your mind on things above, and, and putting to death what belongs to the earthly nature, clothing ourselves with Christ, and then going through all those practicals of husbands, wives, uh, even the, the fellowship of letting the Word of Christ dwell among us richly, ultimately ending in verse 17 with, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it with Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And so that's the overall overarching principle of this idea as we set our mind on things above, is that we're doing everything, whether in word or deed, to honor God, okay, with thanksgiving in our heart. So it's under that overarching umbrella that here Paul turns his eye towards those who were slaves. Now, we've talked often about Roman slavery was different than what we experienced in America. What we experienced in America was wrong, okay? Now, there was wrong things in the Roman form of slavery, but it was much different in its cultural context. And you could be a slave back then, uh, and and as many as one-third of the whole Roman Empire were slaves, but it was due to debt. You would owe money, and because you owed money, you would become an indentured servant or serfdom, where it was actually better for you to enslave yourself, to be provided for. So it was a very different context of slavery than what we experienced in America. Slavery in America was wrong, and in fact, it was people of faith who were the first abolitionists, the first ones to focus on that that is, is, doesn't honor the dignity of mankind, and we're against it. So that's not what it's talking about when it talks about slavery, okay? What, we're, what this is referring to, what, we're, what can be applied to, is our employment. And that's what we're going to do today, amen? So let's talk about these three different perspectives of our employment. The first one, the three we're going to talk about is the error of the, of the idol, the terror of the idol, and the dignity of the ideal. The first one, the error of the idol. You know, you think about that first one. How did he view his work? The first person in the parable, it was just a grind. It was just he had to do. You know, we can approach work with a really idle perspective when we have idle ideas about work. And I want to talk about three of those. What produces this idle attitude in us? The first one is about our work, we can feel like, man, it's just kind of a necessary evil. 
You know what I mean? It's just like a nuisance in life. I guess we have to work so that we have money to pay the bills. And let me just kind of find the least bothersome career or work that I can do to provide. But it's really just a necessary evil. Is that what God wants us? Is that the attitude God wants us to have towards our work? Well, look with me over in Genesis chapter 1. Come on, bro. Genesis chapter 1, you know, some of us, we can even feel like, isn't, isn't work cursed in, you know, when, when God laid out the curse in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to talk about that. Isn't work actually cursed by God to where, yeah, it's supposed to be lame? Well, let's look at it. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 27, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. You guys with me? Genesis 1, 27. Yeah. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, again, this is before the fall. And if you look at the word where it says, fill the earth and subdue it. That word for fill the earth, because he says, uh, be fruitful and multiply. And then it says, fill the earth. So the idea is, we'll get a bunch of you humans around. And that is one uh, idea behind it. But if you look, that fill the earth is actually attached more with the subdue it next to them. That word for fill can actually be... um, be translated to fulfill the earth, to bring it to fulfillment. The idea is take all the great stuff that's on the earth, all the things that I've created, all the material things that God had created, and bring those things to fulfillment. Make order out of them. Make useful things out of them. Does that make sense? Subdue it. The idea is not just to... uh, just get a bunch of people to to live there. But in fact, take what God had created, take it from chaos and make cosmos out of it. Make useful things out of all the resources that he had left at their disposal. So from the beginning in the garden, what was man supposed to be doing? Work, being creative, being gardeners, uh, planting plants, figuring out ways to use those things to make life better for humanity and add technology. And you know what I mean? It was creativity. It was produce culture. It was cultivating things. That was from the beginning. That's what God wanted them to do with all that he had given them in the earth. Okay. We'll look over in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 17, it says to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit, ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You see here, God does not curse the work that he had given them to do. God curses the ground and says, it's going to be hard now. But he doesn't curse the work that they were going to do. 
You see, from the beginning, from the garden, God had this creative employment, this work that he wanted mankind to do. And it was actually because they were in his image. You know, God, when he creates the earth, he, he not only uh, made matter, he did that in Genesis chapter one. But if you look at the, the rest of Genesis chapter one, he in fact makes it all useful. So the, the, uh, the, the sun, what's the use of the sun? What's well, going to determine day? What's the use of the moon? It's going to determine the night. The stars, what would they do? You know what I mean? He was, he was giving use to all these different things. Yeah. Then he says, man, mankind, I want you to be like me. I want you to be my image bearer. And so to you be creative and take the matter that I've created and produce use out of it. Make it useful. Does that make sense? And so in so doing, we actually are the image bearers of God. Does that make sense? And so is your work a necessary evil? No, it's actually a part of creation. It's a part of how you've been created in the image of God. And in fact, in John chapter five, verse 17, Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very very day. And I too am working. Guys, life without work is empty. There's an emptiness to it. It's, I've, I've often wondered about this. You know, you have guys who retire and they're like, man, I, I just want to go back to work. When you're working, you're like, why would you want to go back to work? You've reached the promised land. You're there. You're done. And they're all like, no. Why is that? Because we're creating God's image. We want to have something to be engaging in that's creative and cultivating employment and work. It is actually a good thing. We don't need work to make money. We need work to be fully human beings in the image of God. Does that make sense? And we've all experienced this. When you give in to laziness too enough, you start to feel weird. You start to feel like, ah, you know, you're off work for too long. I was on vacation and it was great and I loved it. We went to Disney and all over the place. That's work right there. But we went all, you know, it was great. It was lots of fun. There's a part of me that's like, all right, let's go. Let's get back to that. You know what I mean? Like, like I like golf, but let's go. Let's go. Let's build something. Let's do something. You know what I mean? Like, that's because God has put that in all of us. And so work is not some necessary evil. Work is the medium through which we offer ourselves to God. A good example, a good parallel idea to this is prayer. Okay, prayer nowadays is much harder than it was in the garden when you could see God. Right in the garden, it was like, hey, God. Hey, Rich, how's it going? It's going great, God. Boy, that would be a much easier prayer life, wouldn't it? I think that would have been easier. What do you think? Yeah. Now it's like much harder to pray, isn't it? Does that mean God doesn't want us to pray? Does that mean God is not, uh, that prayer is not sanctified and beautiful and awesome and necessary and a part of us? No, it very much is. It's different now, but it's still holy. So to our work. We may be outside the garden. The earth may be cursed. That's why it talks about in Romans 8 about even creation is going to be redeemed. But... That doesn't change the fact that it is equally as holy now as it was in the garden. Amen? And so work is not some necessary evil. It is necessary to complete holiness in us. Amen? Because in our work, in your career, in your studies that are preparing for, for your career, you are actually becoming like God. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah. 
The second distortion or the second idol idea is that work is just a distraction from the divine. It's like, man, if I didn't have to have this job, well, then I could I could really do a lot of Bible studies with people and I could really like share my faith and focus on my family and, you know, all good, righteous, holy things and none of this work stuff. I'd be able to just be holy all the time. I could pray all day and read all day and share all day and love people all day. And man, this work stuff is just a distraction from what would really fulfill me. That's not what the Bible teaches. Like I said earlier, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, the context for this, it says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, that word there for deed is actually the word for work. It's the Greek word ergon. When further down it says, um, in the passage that we read, it says, whatever you do, work with all your heart. It's the same word. Guys, our work is not a distraction from the divine, it is a participation in the divine. So when you're at work, you know, designing logos, or when you're at school studying your books, getting ready for your career, it, it's not that that takes you away from what is divine, that's actually you being divine. That's incredible, isn't it? How inspiring is that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, it says, uh, it's talking about actually being a slave as well, and it talks about to that which you were, uh, you've been assigned and called. Theologically, the Greek word kaleo, uh, to be called, it means that God has called you to that purpose. And so your employment, what you're doing right now, it is a call of God. Now you may feel like, oh my goodness, this is the worst call ever. But a lot of times that's because we have the wrong ideas about it. And we don't understand that what we're doing is actually a part of being holy. That changes everything. You were called to what you are doing. You were called to your vocation, and, and it is a means through which you attain to holiness, not a distraction from holiness. Does that make sense? And so it is not a distraction from the di- di- divine. And the third idol idea is the misery of the menial. You know, it is easy to miss that calling if you feel like your work is kind of pointless. You know what I mean? It's like, man, I'm a, you know, I remember when I did, um, I did international shipping. That was my career. I, there was a, a period of a couple of years where I wasn't on staff with the church and um, I, I did international shipping. And so basically what that means is you ever see the big boats with uh, those cargo containers on them that go all over the world? I organized those. I, I, put the, I didn't physically put them on. I told the people where to put them and all that kind of thing. And I, I, that's what I did, okay? And it's easy to think, well, that's like, how is this at all a part of holiness, right? All I do is sit on the phone with people all day. Yeah, you want to ship that? That's going to cost you that much. You know what I mean? It can feel very mundane, very menial. And, and even more so if you feel like my job is like even less valuable than that if I work I don't know. I don't want to, whatever. You know what I mean? We can all kind of dismiss what we do. But when you look at it from from a perspective of how you're affecting people and how you're serving people and the role it plays in the bigger uh, plan of humanity, all of us, what we're doing is so important. You know, I think about Phil. Phil is a, uh, a policeman. And so think about that. He could look at it like, oh, just... 
driving my car on the daily beat, you know, whatever. I don't know. What's he do? Drives around, makes sure nobody does anything, gives some tickets. But no, he's providing order for society. He's a part of God's plan to provide a safe environment for all of us to walk around and live. And you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, that's awesome. And, you know, it's easy. Like I think about uh, Aaron as a nurse. And so she can feel like, yeah, of course. Like I'm like, I'm helping people physically, you know. But, but Nick is a, a, a stretcher salesman. So he's not actually like getting in there and helping anybody per se. But he's a part of that bigger thing that really does meet needs and provide help for people. Does that make sense? And all of this, God is saying that's good. That's divine. You should feel proud of what you're doing. It's not menial. You were called to it and you should embrace it and love it. Even if your job right now is studying for school and flipping hamburgers. You are making somebody happy that they don't have to feed their kids and they don't have to clean the kitchen after they feed their kids because they're able to drive through and get some food for their family. And so you should embrace that hamburger flipping like, man, I get to serve today by helping people and man, I'm going to do the best I can with these hamburgers. Does that make sense? We got to understand we're a part of something bigger and that's the way God created it. And so there's nobody that can dismiss it. There's nobody that can say, oh, mine isn't, unless you're a drug dealer. That's, that's a bad job. But any kind of good career, it's like, oh, my goodness. And, and, and I know, I don't know if anybody here falls into this, but, but I think about like um, uh, um, homemakers, uh, people who don't necessarily have a career job they go get paid for, but they're at home making sure that their home is taken care of, their kids are taken care of. That is as much the vocation. You want to talk about making order out of chaos? Go hang out with a mom, stay at home mom someday, right? You want to talk about providing and taking what the earth has provided and making it useful for man? I mean, you're keeping people alive and on the planet. Does that make sense? Yeah, on, it's like in all of this, understanding that there's no menial call. I don't care what you do. I don't care which I can go through every person and what your job is and how it plays a role in the bigger good of humanity. Yeah. And all of us need to feel that. These three steal the joy of the divine calling of work. And all of us get to choose which posture we're going to take. The second one... Oh, this is a cool thought. Um, when it comes to this idea of, uh, you know, work being uh, d- just a distraction from the divine or all these different thoughts, you think about how Jesus came to earth. Jesus was born, grew up and lived a normal life. Recently, I had a conversation where someone asked me, why did, why did Jesus wait till he was 30 years old to kind of come on the scene? Why didn't he come on earlier? Well, part of it was Jesus had to live a perfect, righteous life so that we could be credited his righteousness. So what was Jesus doing that whole time? We don't know for sure, but we often speculate because Joseph was a noted carpenter. Jesus would have gone into that business. Well, from where Jesus lived in Nazareth to the next big Roman city was about three and a half miles. It's called Zephorus. Okay, so what Jesus would have done is he would have spent those years working with his hands, building stuff and then commuting from his village, carrying that stuff three and a half miles to the forest where he could send it. Have you ever thought about Jesus commuting to work? 
He did. How long did it take you to walk three and a half miles? With a table that you just built. Right? Jesus commuted to work. He worked. He dealt with people at work. And he did it all perfectly righteously. So that you could be credited his righteousness. And you could go into your employment based on uh, what Jesus did in his perfection. Where you are already the perfect employee through Jesus. Amen? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Man, how sanctified. Think about two times God reveals himself. The first one, or, or two, the, the main times, uh, the first one, he's a gardener. He's creating the earth and all the, the plants. The next one, he's a carpenter. He's taking all that's, that he created there, and he's building with it. Man, guys, your vocation, your career is holy. Well, the next danger is the terror of the idol. Um. You know, this one, I think it's talked about a lot more, so I'm going to spend less time on it. There's the error of loving work too much, to where work just becomes this selfish ambition uh, from which we, we seek to get security, we seek to get our identity, and we seek to get fulfillment. We know that, according to the scriptures, our identity, our security, and our fulfillment are meant to come from one place only, and that is God. Uh, grace is meant to fulfill all these. Where do I get my security? Through God, through grace. Where do I get my fulfillment? Through grace. Where do I get my sense of identity? Through grace, not my career. Career is awesome. It's a, it's a divine part of our life, but it's never meant to become uh, what we worship instead of God. You know, all idols, the danger of any idol is that it distorts us. We start to worship it. We start to serve it. And when we do that, we begin to compromise the high calling of Jesus. We've got to maintain the, the response to grace, putting to death the earthly nature and clothing ourselves with Christ. As we approach our career, it cannot become our idol. Like I said, that one gets talked about a whole lot more. So I'm not going to talk about that. You'll hear that in a lot of sermons. Um, so we'll just talk about that briefly. And let's close out talking about the dignity of the ideal. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65, we're going to read, uh, start reading in verse 17, read 17 through 22. This is a, what's called an eschatological passage. This is talking about end times. This is what it's going to be like when God returns and makes everything new. Which a cool thought about this, if you want to talk about heaven sometime, have a conversation with John Johnson when it comes to like what we're going to do in heaven, because we're going to have jobs in heaven. And uh, he has some cool ideas about it. I don't want to steal his ideas. You'll have to talk to him about it. But in verse 17, look at what it says. It says, see, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. 
No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the day of a tree, for as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will their child, their children be doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord and their descendants will be with them. You know, it says here, my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. Now, I can't specifically say what's going to go on at the end. John has some really cool thoughts that I don't want to steal. You should ask him about it. But guys, when it comes to heaven, we're going to work. You're going to have a job in heaven. Maybe it'll be the same job, kind of tweaked a little bit to help make the new creation. I don't know, but you're going to have work in heaven. Heaven is not escape from work. Guys, our work is a part of our divine calling in holiness. You know, it's not good enough for us to think, well, I'll share my faith at work. That's, that, that'll be kind of make it holy. Or I'll, I'll, have, I'll have mostly a good attitude at work. That's, my, that's how I'm going to make work holy. I'll, I'll try not to complain about the boss in front of people. Or even I'm going to work so that I can support the work of the ministry. Those are all good and noble things. But they all miss the, the underlying point that your work is a part of your holiness. Yeah. And you are serving God and you are becoming like God. And you are, in fact, participating in the divine nature as you go to work. Does that make sense? I don't know about you, but that fires me up. That gets me a whole lot more excited. I mean, I'm in the ministry. It's a little different, but but that that would get me equally fired up about my job the next day. Man, you get to go to work tomorrow and, and every part of it is a part of you being like God. You living out that cathedral building. I'm a part of God's bigger plan for humanity. And this is the gifts he's given me. And this is how I'm using it to honor God and to have the image of God in my life. Guys, whether you're a student, whether you go to work tomorrow, whether you're retirement, whatever it is, whatever you're involved in, it is a part of this bigger plan of God that we subdue and that we fill the earth. So the question for all of us is, which of the three will we choose? Will we choose the error of the idol? Will we allow all that negative thinking about work and career, all that actually unbiblical, ungodly thinking about work and career, take away the joy and and the motivation of finding fulfillment and joy in our work? Or will we go to the terror of the idol, where work becomes what we worship and what we invest our lives in? Or will we do what God wants us to do, what he calls us to do here in Colossians, which is to embrace the dignity of the ideal. And whatever we do, whether in work or word or deed, work, do it with all your heart the way God wants you to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.